All right, I think we're going to make a start. It is 3.15, and uh, the administrators will throw us out at 4.15, so we need to, uh, they're having their comm session or something like that, so we need to promptly, I need to be done on time. So anyway, my name's Andy. Uh, I, along with my wife Harmony, lead the vineyard in Belfast. Um, we also uh, help with the churches regionally in Ireland and a few other things as well. So it's a real privilege to be with you. Um, uh, can everyone see this or is it a bit hazy? I'm getting a mumble. Mike Munson. Oh, you're good. Okay, then I'll, I'll leave the lights on because then I have terrible eyesight and if you turn the lights out, I won't be able to see anything and it, this seminar will be worse. So um, thanks so much for coming. Uh, uh, this is a chance to talk about um, working spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines into the life of a whole church. Um, and uh, this is a journey we in Belfast have been on. I've been on it personally for a good number of years now. Um, and uh, I've been having conversations with lots of people about this. This is something that's percolating uh, in the Western church, returning to ancient rhythms, returning to old knowledge that we've forgotten things like spiritual formation, spiritual direction, spiritual disciplines, uh, hugely important life-giving things um, uh, that are kind of being rediscovered. It's a big conversation in the vineyard, uh, uh, in our branch of the family, across the water in America and Canada, um, and it's just kind of around right now, and the Holy Spirit is doing something globally, not just in the vineyard, uh, but in His church to, to see some of this stuff happen. So kind of what I want to talk about today is a bit of our story. I want to ask the question, is it possible to not just engage in spiritual disciplines or formation ourselves, but is it possible to like bring whole churches or disciple whole churches into this? That's really the question I'm interested in. And one of the reasons I'm interested in it is, uh, I'll get into it a bit further in a minute, but it's for me, it's a core practice of discipleship and knowing Jesus. And um, I love what... Uh, you know, John spoke about this morning, absolutely loved what the guys, uh, Lazarus and Maggie, spoke about this morning. How could you not be inspired? Um, but I just always return back to John 15 about abiding and bearing fruit. And to me, this life of formation is essential to see a life of impact and action. And um, if you caught in Lazarus and Maggie's interview, um, how much prayer just was a part of that story, and uh, I'm sure they could have gone into extreme detail about their prayer lives and things like that. It's just always there if you see fruit. If you see real kingdom fruit somewhere, there's always formation, discipline, prayer, and, and that stuff. And it's just the John 15 principle that we can't escape, right? So um, I, I just am really interested in leading what does it look like to bring whole churches on this journey um, and I'll say a little bit more about my questions about that in a moment. I just want to, by way of introduction, say a few things. First, uh, lots of you are probably further along than I am, or our church in Belfast is with this. So um, that's great. Uh, there's some great voices I see in the room already. And um, I am really excited about what God's doing in you. And, and so many of you could do this seminar uh, in my place. Um, and just want to honor all those of you who have been pushing this already in your own lives and in your local uh, context. Second, I'm just going to assume some knowledge of spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines. I'll give a couple of definitions, um, but, but I'm not going to kind of spend tons of time there. Uh, and if you're brand new to this, you have no idea what I'm talking about, some of the definitions will be helpful, and I'll point you at the end to some further resources. So don't feel bad if you don't 
know all the lingo or anything like that. Just, just we're, we're just going to assume some knowledge so we can make some uh, as much headway as as possible. Um, I want to uh, just really uh, highlight for a moment the amazing work our movement has been doing uh, in this area. Uh, Chris Parsons, who I saw sneak in here, has just done an amazing job in this area, really leading the charge here. He's an amazing leader. He's been journeying formation personally, uh, then working hard with teams of people to just sow this into our movement. There's the Senior Pastors Soul Care Retreats that are happening, uh, that are amazing and, and, and really dip into this stuff and equip pastors for this. Um, there's the spiritual director training uh, that, that is happening as well. So we're training and hopefully releasing armies of spiritual directors into our movement. Um, it's just such an amazingly good thing with big dreams for more, huge impact. So I think Chris is amazing and I just really want to commend what uh, our movement has done and is doing in this area that you can take advantage of, and there's only more coming. So it's really, really exciting. Um, and so just today, uh, just to give you a framework, I want to talk about how I began to travel down this road and ask these kinds of questions. Then I'll share about what we've just begun to do in BCV. And, and just, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. Um, uh, emphasis on the word begun to do, okay? So I'm not coming in here as, as the expert. Uh, I'm, I, we have begun a journey, and I want to tell you about what we've done, what we've tried, and what we've failed at, and then what we think we see working, and what are some of the early results in that. Okay, so that's the posture I'm coming to. I heard this brilliant podcast a um, couple of, uh, last, last week, and uh, it was at a huge conference in the States, and it was like, how to reach millennials, or something like that was the title of the podcast. And uh, this guy, and usually when people get up, they tell you about their ministry, and it's like, you feel like a loser after, you know, like how successful their ministry is. So this guy got up and he said, I had a modest ministry. And then he just said, you know, I had a church of 30 people and that was about it. And it was just great. It was just totally honest. So I'm just trying to just say, look, we've begun a journey. We are not at the end. And, and I'm just trying to offer some things to you that you might try. No doubt you will pioneer some new and different things that will work and be great. So, um, Yeah. I can guarantee you will take away one thing from this seminar because I'm going to give it to you, a resource that we've um, built up in Belfast and kind of the worship task forces, or, sorry, the worship intensive guys have used tons. So you will have a video resource to walk out the door with so your time won't be completely wasted here. So um, yeah, God is good. So um, anyway, so where should we begin? I should probably pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for our time together. We pray that we'd honor you, and we just say, Lord, we would love nothing more than to grow in our formation and discipleship with you. Would you impact us today? Lord, also, would you uh, impact whole churches here in this movement and beyond? Would there be wave after wave of, of disciples made who are engaging in formation and then entering in the world to bear fruit? We pray for huge kingdom impact. We pray for growth in our churches. We say yes and amen to you. Okay, so we're going to just go through this. I can't guarantee they have all the answers. I will leave time for questions. Um, and uh, when, I, when I think I have an answer, I'll give it to you. And if I, if I don't know the answer, I'll just say I don't know. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So, all right. So I just want to kind of define our terms a little bit. You know, you know what, what do we mean 
uh, by spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines, et cetera, et cetera. You'll probably get the sense very quickly that I am pretty obsessed with Dallas Willard. Uh, he's just had a huge impact on my life uh, through his writings. Um, I never met him or anything like that. Um, I, I just can't recommend his work highly enough. Um, I had a stab at uh, a definition of spiritual formations. This is mine, uh, and then I'll give you his, and you can t see which one you like better. Um, this is mine, learning from Jesus how to live in and receive his love and presence and let that impact and change us into his likeness and influence the world around us. That was my 10-minute I better think of a definition here, kind of stab at that. So, so that's mine. I also really love and probably ripped off Dallas's definition of spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is a life of learning from Jesus Christ how to live in the kingdom of God as he himself did. And if you have read anything of Dallas Willard, you've read, you just you hear the, 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 the Willard themes uh, uh, just, just echoing out their life of spiritual formation. And in a second, we're going to talk about... Um, does it fit within a vineyard framework? And one of the things I just appreciate so much about Dallas Willard is I, I love our theology of the kingdom of God in the vineyard. It's why it's one of the top two reasons I'm in the vineyard. Um, and, uh, but I've always just, I've, I've, and I've loved that when we apply it to things like, uh, you know, the kingdom comes now and breaks in now when we pray for the sick or cast out a demon or something like that. And uh, I, I just love that. But what I think Dallas Willard brings as a gift is how to moment by moment do you live in the kingdom of God? Like, and how do you dwell in there? And, and uh, how do you announce the kingdom of God to yourself? So many of us are pastors and preachers, right? And we've probably preached many sermons on, you know, Jesus announces and demonstrates the kingdom. Well, we as disciples and believers in a process of formation need to announce the presence of the kingdom to ourselves. And how do you actually live day to day in the kingdom? And Dallas just brings a, a, great, a great gift to us there. Uh, spiritual disciplines. Uh, uh, again, what are spiritual disciplines? Um, here's a... Here's an Andy Smith definition, again, probably ripped off from other people, but here you go, activities or practices we engage in that the Spirit of God uses to form us into the likeness of Christ. Okay, um, that's mine. Uh, again, I'm going to give you uh, a better one from Dallas, um, and this is a bit lengthy, so it's not on the screen. Um, he says spiritual disciplines are activities or practices we engage in that the Spirit of God uses to shape and form us into the likeness of Christ. Um, well, that's mine. That's not Dallas's. Okay, here's Dallas's. Okay. He says this, my central claim is that we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in, by arranging our whole, whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of his Father. Now, if you're wondering where does that come from, it comes from Spirit of the Disciplines. I think it's either chapter one or the introduction, kind of page five. Introduction. There's a man after my own heart right there. So that's, you know, Dallas Willard's uh, definition of spiritual disciplines. Um, there, but the truth is there's lots of different examples out there, and I alluded to it in kind of my little introduction about Lazarus and Maggie, and you see, the, you see the prayer, you see the discipline, you see the formation in there somewhere. Anytime you see Im immense fruit, you see the formation if you dig down deep enough. 
And uh, a couple of years ago, Harmony and I had some, some time out. We had a month where we kind of traveled around and, and saw different people and just encountered different ministries. And um, one of the things I've, I just found is every leader I met had this, uh, it looked different. You know, we spent some time in Bethel, and if you see Bill Johnson's style of life that he's chosen for himself, you just hear about the endless hours of prayer and Bible study that he puts in. And that's in the formation family. One of my dear friends, Alan Scott, called, was Causeway Coast Vineyard, now is Anaheim Vineyard. Um, you know, just, just being in the same region and hanging out from time to time with Alan and Catherine, just the, uh, I don't know of anybody who prays more than Alan Scott. And, and, you know, so people talk about the immense fruit that Causa Coast Vineyard uh, had and have, you know, and, but just being around Alan on a day-to-day basis, it's just the depth of prayer and time with God. It can look different, you know. Some of us, when we hear the word spiritual disciplines or formation, we think we need to go spend time in a monastery, and that could be a very good thing that you might need to do, but it doesn't, it's not like limited to that kind of thing. Um, all the leaders I've known, Uh, have just had a deep investment in friendship with Jesus, specifically prayer and solitude in some way, shape, or form, which has spilled over and brought impact all around them. So I just want to talk a little bit about my story, our story, um, just some catalytic moments uh, on on how I kind of got into this. Um, I've really always, since I have been a Christian, um, been drawn to this kind of life uh, personally, I've already mentioned John chapter 15. I think if I had to pick one chapter in the Bible, if I had to, uh, I would pick that one to, to, to journey with. I've always just been um, slightly obsessed with the words of Jesus, where we are to dwell and abide and remain. And what does that mean? And how can I wrap my whole life around that and then bear fruit? It's something I've just seen. I think we've been leading church now for... Uh, let's see, 16, 17 years, and I've just, I've tried it both ways. I've tried it, I've tried bearing fruit and then abiding. That really didn't work out very well, and uh, I've tried to abide and then bear fruit, and that is, that's the easy yoke. That's the easy yoke, so I've just always been, uh, been drawn to that, and that's the scripture that I just seem to inhabit all the time, and it's really shaped my life. Another reason why I got drawn into this is what I was seeing in church, um, just, just an overwhelming desire to see lives change, to actually make disciples rather than gathering crowds and doing Christian entertainment, which is, I don't know if you know the definition of that, is you know, you, there's some great worship and some pretty good preaching and a buzz and a crowd and people come in a room and then think they've done something and then leave and nothing ever really happens. And it's like, oh, a great speaker, oh, a great worship leader. And I'm all for great speakers and great worship leaders, but... If we're just on a cycle of entertaining people, like, who's got time for that? I just want to see disciples made. I want to see lives changed. I want to gather as many in our city as we possibly can. Uh, but I so desperately want to go beyond crowd and go beyond uh, conversions. And I want to hit into disciples making disciples and taking responsibility for their own life with God instead of living in my wake, or Harmony's wake, or Bill Johnson's wake, or John Wright's wake, or whoever, you know, feeding off of someone else's spirituality. I, I just desperately want to raise up disciples who can make disciples, and they're bought into this thing called community in the local church, but they're able to feed themselves. Um, and I think formation is just a huge 
part of that. You know, we, as we looked at leaders we were raising up, we wanted to raise up leaders whose first priority was deep friendship with Jesus rather than getting their to-do list done. You know, the ability to live in his love and presence and leaders who were able to invite many other people into that life for themselves. So just, not just leaders who could do this, you know, enter into spiritual formation or, or practice spiritual disciplines, but leaders who could lead other people into that. Um, I just think the reason why I'm obsessed with that is because of, you know, legacy. Uh, that would be something that would last far beyond us, um, that would allow for immense impact and growth, yet still contain the potency and vibrancy of the kingdom. It's not a a church or a ministry based on somebody's worship leading gift or preaching gift that as soon as they exit stage left, so does everybody else. You know, it's, it's yeah, you get the point. You're, you're all super smart. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, part of this is also what God's just done in me. A couple years ago, I began to really hunger for God's presence. Um, and I realized that I wasn't very present or attentive to the presence of God and his love for me. And I had trouble being present with those I love most and with my church. And uh, I wasn't loving them very well, and I wasn't a very happy person. And I had uh, issues of anxiety and anger and insecurity just around my life. And I began to see that if I didn't address this, I'm in serious trouble. Um, and I began to see Jesus in the Gospels, who was completely secure in who he was uh, and completely free to be present. I did a little bit of study on the baptism of Jesus where he encounters uh, his true identity. The Father speaks over him, and you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So his ministry begins by abiding in the love and presence of his Father. I thought, I probably need some of that, right? And uh, I just was captivated all over again by Jesus in the Gospels. Again, completely secure, completely free to be present, fully present. He's present to the Father and to the Father's love. He's fully present to people. He's on mission, but he stops for the blind man. He's on mission to Jerusalem, and he stops and he points out Zacchaeus up a tree. He's present to crowds. He's present to individuals. He's free to confront people. He's free to forgive and show mercy. He's free to only do what he sees the Father doing. He mo was the most profoundly present person to ever walk the earth, and I decided to try and be like him and do all I could to be present fully to him and experience and receive his love and then give that away all around me uh, instead of giving away more of me. I don't think we're allowed to have a seminar without quoting John Wimber, uh, so I'm going to. We don't seek God's power, we seek his presence. His power and everything else we need is always found in his presence. So I began to really try and figure out, like, how do I live in the presence and love of Jesus all the time? Is that possible? And began to figure out that uh, I wasn't the first person to ask this question. The Christians through the ages have asked this questions, and lots of them are really good at it. And we can learn, and we can practice what they already know and have written down and can tell us and show us. And I began to lean quite heavily into the disciplines of silence and solitude in prayer, along with other things, all designed to keep me aware of his presence and love as much as possible all the time. Another catalytic moment was as I began to journey this and explore this in our local contacts, and, you know, sometimes I get to go and do other things around our movement and the vineyard movement around the world and just other places. Um, 
And I began to notice something. I began to teach on this and insist on this in our environment and suggest it for the other environments that I don't have authority over. I began to ask this question as I taught on things like intimacy with Jesus and living in his love and stuff like that. I began to ask in every room that I got in, has anyone ever taken you by the hand and taught you exactly how to follow Jesus and like encounter his presence and live in his love? Has anyone ever taught you how to do that? I had a point in my life where a couple of really wise men, older than me, godly men, like showed me, I mean, step by step here, do what I do. This is how you pray. Say like really detailed. This is how you study the Bible. And I just kind of took it for granted that everybody had that. So I began to ask the question, anyone ever, anyone ever have that happen to you? And uh, we'll do an experiment in a second to see if you are the exception. Um, but in every room I have been in, and we're probably talking around somewhere between 50 and 100 now, I've been asking this question for a while, the answer is never more than 25% of the room has had that happen to them. Okay, so put your hand up if you have had someone take you by the hand and show you exactly how to follow Jesus. Do what I do. Yep, that's, you know, you're not bad if you haven't. It's just you haven't, you know, I'm so not, don't feel bad. I'm just saying um, we probably better talk about this if we're leading in churches or we're leading churches. Um, and we need to help some people do this. And uh, that number actually really haunted me and still haunts me. Because it was in my church that I had led for like a decade. <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, new plan required, right? Less than, you know, anyway, like a qu only a quarter of our people are people generally right, uh, have been shown how to follow Jesus by another Christian. I know it's not terribly scientific. It's a show of hands, right? But, you know, something probably needs to change. And so we decided that at least for us in Belfast, we're going to change that. Um, and we didn't want to gather people to environments and preach great talks and do amazing worship, but not equip them to grow in Christ, to experience his love and presence, so that they could follow him for themselves and bear fruit. Um, so that was a big, big deal. And so I'll tell you some of the things we did. It's all to do with spiritual formation in just a second. Um, then I had another catalytic moment where uh, I had a conversation with my friend uh, Jay Pathak. Uh, many of you will know Jay. He's come and spoken at conferences here, loads. Um, great, great guy. Uh, vineyard pastor in Denver and Colorado. And uh, this is a moment in my life where uh, I was really struggling uh, with kind of who am I and what am I for and all that stuff. And I had this invitation to go speak at a conference that was hosted in his church, but, um, which was great. Had a great time. Loved speaking at this conference. It was wonderful. Gave it my all. But kind of one of my primary reasons for accepting the invitation was I got to spend some time with some key mentors and people like Jay and Steve Nicholson and, you know, hoping they could sort me out kind of thing. Uh, and so anyway, I had all this stuff swirling around in me, and I got an, a lunch with, with Jay. And, you know, we were in the like Qdoba or something, Chipotle burrito place in Denver and over burritos, you know, and Jay just looks at me and he says, hey, just, could you just tell me, like, what are the three things BCV is about? Like, just distill it down into three words, like, or just really simply, if somebody asks you, could you give them the 10 second version of, of like, your three most important things that you do as a church? And I'm like, no. Like, and I'm sitting there like, oh, no, like, oh, 
I'm a loser. Like, this is bad. Like, I, no wonder my church is a mess. You know, I can't figure this. But then all of a sudden, like, actually, wait a minute. No, I know. I know what we're about. And these, these three words just popped into my mind and my heart. And we've doubled down on it ever, ever since. And that's formation, community, and impact. And you can see from my fancy slides, we're going through a, a rebranding in Belfast here, and I uh, have now fancy slides for all these things. So um, formation is the first thing, and uh, um, we are to do spiritual formation. That's one of our primary things. That's one of our primary callings of the vineyard in Belfast, to invite people into a process of spiritual formation. Dallas Willard would say, everyone you lock eyes with is being formed spiritually. It just depends on by whom or by what. So what if we invited people into a process, a lifelong process of spiritual formation, uh, submitted to and serving an apprentice to Jesus Christ? And what if we did that? Um, that would be interesting and powerful and good. So spiritual formation is our, our first thing. Uh, community, radical community, we, we're committed to doing that, uh, not as free agents wandering the earth, uh, but in a radical community gathered around Jesus. And I would argue that you probably can't do spiritual formation terribly well unless you're rooted deeply in community. So we spend a lot of time doing spiritual formation. We spend a lot of time inviting people deeper into community gathered around Jesus. And then we passionately believe um, in impact. And we have a little grandiose phrase called city and global impact. We believe our city will change. We believe people will be sent to the ends of the earth to bring the impact that comes when we abide in Christ and dwell in his community gathered around him. We will see things happen. And so that just, that just gave me the courage. That conversation pulled something out of me and got me to go public and just say, BCV, we're doing this. And we're nailing our mustard colors to the mast here. And uh, I argued with this designer. I'm like, mustard, really? He said it was trendy. I don't know. Who knows? You can tell I don't really live in that world very much. Um, and just made it what we do. Um, I have a spiritual director, and uh, I began to chat with him a lot. He's in a vastly different context to the vineyard. I'll get into that in a, more in a little bit. But um, his job, he's part of a mendicant order. He's a priest, and um, he lives in community. Um, and there's a, a large congregation, that get, but they basically live as monks and serve a congregation in Belfast. And, uh, you know, so I just began to ask him some of these questions. I've been meeting with him for over a year, and he's, he's, he'd never heard of the vineyard, so he doesn't even know. So he's like, I'm like a zoo oddity to him or something like this, you know, this this pastor that wants to come to him for spiritual direction. And I was like, so, so how do you, you've got like thousands of people over the course of the week that come to this, this um, church in Belfast and you, know, you guys do you know, like a million masses a day and all this stuff. And like, like, how do you get the individuals to enter into spiritual formation and disciplines? He's like, we don't. I'm like, what do you mean you don't? He's like, well, we don't. That's for the clergy. We wouldn't dream of knowing how to invite all of them into this. And I was like, well, you don't want to try? He's like, I'd love to try, but we don't know. And I just thought, well, what if we did? Like, that just bothered me. And actually, he and I have been on a journey, like, well, what if we could? What would that look like? Um, and I just, voice after voice, has had a lot of good wisdom on how individuals can go into this. But uh, it might just be my limited perspective. Uh, I'm sure there are churches out there that are killing this. Um, but, but it was just like, whole 
groups that I was talking to, this vision for the individual, but no vision for bringing whole churches in. And I just became really, really interested in that. Is it compatible uh, uh, with the vineyard? Or the classic question, is that vineyard? Um, I would give a wholehearted yes to that. I'll give you some reasons why, and then I'll give you some reasons why actually it's hard in the vineyard. Um, uh, one would be its presence of God-focused. Like, that's our thing, right? <laughs> uh, we uh, are all about encountering him and encountering his presence and love. Our movement was birthed in a small group of people who encountered his presence and love in worship, and they've never been the same since. And now there's, I don't know how many thousands of us, right? Um, this expectation that we have as the vineyard of his presence encountering us, the kingdom breaking in and breaking out at any moment. It's a great fit. It's a great fit because what we're trying to do is encounter and live in his love and presence and mercy all the time. And it's just a, a deeper extension of that. It's that back to that Dallas Willard thing I said. It's that day-to-day living in the kingdom of God. We're great at the healing. We're great at the prophetic. We're, we're great at the worship. Um, bit of presence and expectation. We could be great at this bit too. And lots of you are. Um, why it's hard in a vineyard framework is uh, we're activists. Like you get the sense of that at this conference, right? The introverts like me are like, can I hide under my chair or something like that? You know, but there's just a lot going on, and it is amazing. It's the grace of God. It's the gift of God to us. Uh, gifted people doing loads of things uh, all across the land. We are activists, and like one of our things is everybody gets to play, right? Right? We're activists. Um, but that also can lean into we want quick results. And this process of spiritual formation isn't quick. It's powerful, but it's not quick. And when we stay in that activist zone, we can like, it's like, what have you done for me lately? Like, we got to get moving here. We got to do some stuff. We got to heal the sick. We got to change the nation. We got to do it yesterday. Like, it's that activist mode. And we love that. And we live there. And we're going to have to learn how not to abandon that, but change gears at times. And that's why it can be a little bit like, you want to do what? You want to go like for a silent retreat? What? You know, that, that just kind of jars against our, our active, activist stuff. There's a great book called The Critical Journey. And uh, the authors, it's a male and female author, and I just can't dial up their names right this second, but Google a criti- The Critical Journey. And they have these different stages of faith. And stage three is the activist or activism. And uh, you, you can get stuck there. And in fact, I've watched people, like a cycle of people joining the vineyard in Belfast. They come from another church, and it's a three-year cycle. Year one is we are like amazing. Everybody gets to play. Can't believe it. Other church, we didn't do the Holy Spirit, or we didn't do worship, we didn't do whatever, and we get to do this, and you trust us to do ministry. Everybody gets to play. And I am like a kid in a candy store, right? Year two is just I am... I am hard at, I am going, I am active and serving and da-da-da-da-da. Year three is I'm tired. And this isn't scratching the itch anymore. And by the end of year three, it's like I'm going to go and the solution to my problem is to go be an activist in a, somewhere else. We can get stuck in an activism cycle. So check out the book. They'll explain all that stuff way better uh, than I can. Uh, so spiritual formation is not quick, but it's powerful. 
and quick is hard to sustain, right? And quick can be messy. And it can require us to live at the edge of burnout, and that's probably not going to work for most of us. My observation after doing this for 17 years is there's only a few people who can live at that relentless pace close to burnout for long periods of time. The rest of us mere mortals can't do that and shouldn't do that. And then when we try, we fake it, we hurt people, we hurt ourselves, we burn out, we quit, or whatever. I think this kind of stuff will be hugely essential with the death of Christendom. Um, I just think we're in an, a different age where the world around, it's what John Tyson talked about in, a, in one of his talks. He, he talked about we've gone from an age of authority to an age of authenticity and people are looking to self-actualize, and is something authentic? And the big question is, what good is Christianity? And Christianity, we're going to have to demonstrate that it's good and demonstrate that it's real and plausible to live the good life in God's presence, that this is somehow accessible, and it's the good and beautiful life. You can't run on the fumes of Christendom and just do what the Bible says. We're going to have to teach people how to actually experience God for themselves on a day-to-day -day basis. They're going to have to encounter it. The incarnation points the way. We were always meant to experience the presence of God. And we're going to have to show people how to do that. And it can't just be at gatherings like this, wonderful as they are. They're once a year. We need to show people every day how to actually live in and receive the love of God for them. We're going to have to prove that in culture. Um, and if we're not doing stuff like that, we're not discipling, then we're not building for the long haul, I would argue. Um, anyway, so that's some of my thoughts on that. I want to talk about just making it real and putting some of this stuff into practice. So what have we tried to do? Again, please know uh, we are not the best. We certainly do not have this operating perfectly. This is not a... If you turned up to some of our church environments, you would probably not find a utopia of silence and, you know the Desert Fathers happening somewhere in Belgium. You know, it's that's not happening. Um, this will take us uh, the rest of our lives. We've been going at it a couple of years now. Uh, and just please as well, you don't need to be us. You don't need to use our language. You know, we're just, I'm just up here saying, look, here's what we do. It might be helpful to you. Um, and the first thing is this, is, you know, Harmony and I uh, really uh, have done all we can to to embody this on our own personal rhythms and build rhythms into our daily life that keep bringing us back to his love and his presence. Okay? Um, now, notice I always tell people, not quiet times, not things you do to make God like you more, uh, not things you do to get the sermon illustration and ideas for those, although he will speak to you about those. Um, but I mean rhythms and patterns of things that we give ourselves to and return to over and over again that anchor us in the love of Jesus and his presence for us. Not so we can dip in and out when we need to fill up, but a place we live from that overflows and brings transformation to our real lives and the lives of those we love and serve and are raising up to be leaders. And for us, it includes you know, the scriptures, particularly study and memorization, carrying them with us and chewing on them, deeply formational. Prayer, um, many different, there's many different types of prayer. Uh, I try them all. Um, you should too. But one type of prayer has completely changed my life. And that is something that I call the prayer of presence. 
Uh, it's called Many Things by Many People. Some call it Centering Prayer. Um, but, but it's a time of silence and solitude, deliberately sitting in His presence and not doing anything else for as long as I can do it. Okay? Um, and so I daily spend extended times in silence before the Lord, entering into His presence, welcoming His presence, receiving His love, and pouring out my adoration for Him. And that's it. Um, that has profoundly changed me over time. And that's one of the big things I've worked with the spiritual director on. Um, and I remember after about a year of it, just kind of going over it with him. And again, he's not vineyard. He has no vineyard language or anything like that. Um, he just wouldn't talk about things in the way that we talk about it. And we're just, he's just probing, like, what, what is your life like now in comparison to 12 or whatever it was eight months ago? And I'm just kind of recalling, well, how am I? I'm way different. Like, and Harmony was reporting that I'm way different. My kids were like, you're different. And he just said to me, he says, you have experienced deep healing in the presence of Jesus. And we have a great framework for, I'm going to pray for you right now, and the, and the presence of Jesus is going to heal you. And praise God, he does that all the time. Never stop doing that. But there's also the framework of as we give ourselves to silence in his presence and sit in it, over time we can be healed, we can be changed, and we can be transformed. You know, I always have to say this in Belfast um, because the whole Protestant Catholic thing uh, is pretty live, shall we say that? <laughs> and uh, it's pretty intense. Blood has been shed. Um, and some of our people that come from a Protestant tradition are just like, that is Catholic weirdness. You know, what are you doing? Are you going to start parading a statue of the Blessed Virgin around next? Is that what you're going to start doing? And, and uh, I'm just like, okay, listen. Um, I think this type of prayer is one of the fullest experiences and expressions of belief and trust in the gospel possible. Because we come into the presence of the Lord without fear, without shame, as sons and daughters, no need to perform, no need to pray the right prayers, or to do anything at all, confident that we are saved by grace and welcomed in. We can simply sit in his presence and receive from him, which is one of the fullest expressions of the gospel, belief in the gospel of grace that I know we can receive from him. There's so much noise in our world, certainly as pastors, social media, the way we do friendships, get information, it's in, so intense all the time. It drowns out so much. Um, if you want to make an impact and see an impact in your life and then see your life make an impact, commit as a response to Jesus to be in intentional times of solitude and silence. Away from the noise, not making any noise. Allow him to love you. Allow him to speak to you. Listen to him. It's the most important part of my day. I sit in silence for the Lord, loving him and letting him love me, listening to him as I'm attentive to his presence. Don't think I am some heavyweight in this. I started with one minute, and I've built up to somewhere around 15. It's really hard, but it is potent and powerful, and I would uh, 
invite you to do it. Um, another thing is the use of uh, the Daily Examine from Ignatian Spirituality, which I am going to give you a resource on in just a second. Um, but we've pursued that. We've pursued something that is called a rule of life. There's many different ways to do a rule of life and resources on a rule of life. But a rule of life is basically an overall rule uh, of how we're going to do life each season where we make big decisions about our life, not small decisions. And we, we decide what our priorities are. And our priorities are always to be living in the presence and love of Jesus and keeping that in the center. So what does the rest of my life need to look like so I can do that? And then kind of reverse engineering your life. It's also a framework for what you'll say yes and no to. Um, if you get an invitation to something or an opportunity to something, well, will it cut across ways that I really need to uh, spend time with Jesus? Then the answer's probably got to be no. You know, stuff like that it means we say a lot of no's to things that overload us and take us away from what we've already said is important. Um, and there's many different resources out there on how to start doing a rule of life. Uh, the one that I use, which is pretty simple and good, came from a book called Emotionally Healthy Leadership by Pete Scazzaro. Uh, it's chapter four. He talks about the rule of life. I copied his and started there. So I'm going to reference that book again in a minute. Uh, it's excellent. It's awesome. Great. Uh, rest and Sabbath. You know, our experience of the love of God deepened significantly when we began to take Sabbath seriously. As Dallas Willard would say, would say, as far as I'm aware, the law of Sabbath is still on the books. Uh, 24 hours of physical rest, but also spiritual restoration and delight. Slowing down, living in gratitude. In Sabbath, we remember and experience the rest and love of Jesus. We have found it to be amazing. We found it to be really hard. We found it to be a discipline. Um, it's about more uh, than just resting. It's about light, you know, and uh, in a Jewish context, how they would begin Sabbath is they would light candles. Uh, it's about goodness and enjoyment and relationships and fun and blessing and food and feasting and doing things you enjoy that give you life and rejuvenate you. Uh, all the powerful things in this world that God has given you to enjoy, most of all himself. Sabbath isn't a holiday. Uh, it's not just rest uh, for body and mind. It's also about God's goodness to your soul and your spirit and your spiritual life with him. It will increase your leadership capacity. It will increase your joy capacity. It will increase your peace, your wholeness, and your ability to give those things to others. I would highly recommend it. If you want to grow in the love of God and the presence of God, if you have a problem with anger, do Sabbath. Ours just happens to be what we try to do is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Um, we have a day off on Monday, which is different. The day off is the day where you cut the grass and pay the bills and do all the stuff that you don't have time to do. Sabbath is way different. Um, so that's kind of our rhythms. And then we began to sow those rhythms into different environments in our church. So staff and key leaders, we, we just really began to shift there. We insisted on them becoming healthy kingdom people instead of church slaves. Okay? Um, we, we made it kind of a job requirement uh, that they are following Jesus well and helping everyone in their area of ministry and life to follow Jesus well. Uh, and uh, as we work with staff and leaders, we began to insist on rhythms of Sabbath and prayer and worship and you know, receiving ministry and rest and silence and the scriptures and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we've begun to see it overflow into things like evangelism and care for the poor and love and service. But we just began to insist. We began to use the books Emotionally Healthy Leadership by Pete Scazzaro, as I mentioned, highly recommended. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, we've done the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. I think we have Emotionally Healthy tattooed on our foreheads. Um, he has a little devotional called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day. It's a six-week 
you know, kind of twice a day, I think, devotional book. Highly recommended. It starts with two minutes of silence each segment and ends with two minutes of silence. Our experience is the people in our church that did the silence profoundly were impacted by God. The people that didn't, they just didn't do the silence. They did the Bible readings and his prayers were just like, meh. It's in the silence. It's in the silence. So if you pick up those resources, don't skip silence. Okay? Um, you don't have to be clones of us, um, but I would ask the question, um, are you experiencing his love and presence and are you leading from that place? Learning and growing and ability to do that and training others to do that. I begin to change how I work with the leaders I meet with one-on-one. I meet with kind of about 10 leaders regularly, plus I've got this weird call in my life that business leaders have started to come to me and I basically do spiritual direction with them. I know nothing about business, but there's this one guy, like his business has exploded since we've done spiritual direction. It's interesting. Anyway, uh, so we talk leadership, we talk getting the job done, we talk growing in that, but also a huge spiritual direction element to it. It's like, what is the Father doing in you? How can I help that? What is he shaping and forming in your life? Um, that got missed before I began to be intentional. As I meet with staff and leaders, I have my three key questions that, uh, that I'm just going to share with you. You can use these or not. Uh, and again, meeting with my leaders, uh, it, formation is the goal. Uh, that's the point of everything. Uh, inviting them into being closer followers of Jesus and formation. Uh, first question I asked them is, how are you with Jesus and with life? You know, are you closely following Jesus? How's formation going? Um, are those in your life doing well? Are you a disciple? <laughs> is this role killing you? Is this role preventing you from being in the presence of Jesus? Do you need care? Do you have an active friendship with Jesus right now? Do you know how to do that? That's question one every time. How's it going with Jesus? Second question. How's the mission? How's the mission? You know, are you bearing weight in the kingdom of God? Are you, you know, are we winning? Is something we said was important getting done? Are you bearing fruit out of your time with Jesus? Um, do you know what you're doing <laughs> and why you're doing it? And uh, do you have what you need? You know, do you need training? Do you need help? So how is the mission? And then I'm meeting mostly with leaders of leaders and leaders of teams. So my third question is, how are your leaders, your teams, your volunteers with Jesus and life and the mission? Are you not just doing some work together, but are you reaching down and are you seeing formation beyond you? Are you seeing formation in your leaders' lives? Are you seeing them influence their volunteers and seeing culture change and you know, effective discipleship and pastoral care and vision getting to all layers? Are you inviting every leader under your care into the formation process and getting them to invite those they are leading into formation? So uh, three questions are, how are you with Jesus? Uh, how's the mission? And how are your leaders or your teams or whoever you're responsible for with Jesus and life and mission. And I've found that that just starts to get the formation question flowing onto all levels. It's not just a nice, happy little staff meeting here. It's just kind of cascading throughout different things. We've made it part of belonging. We've got a couple of core courses that I'm in the middle of pioneering. Um, uh, newcomers courses where we're clear on formation, community impact, that we've just 
nailed our colors to the mast. This is what we're inv if you want to join the vineyard, this is what we're inviting you into. And here's the arenas where we, we do that and why we do that and what it means. This is the direction of travel. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a How to Follow Jesus course well that deals with that 25% thing, like a course where we actually take you by the hand and teach you how to follow Jesus, including some of these formation things, like how do you fast, how do you read the Bible, how do you pray, and all that stuff. Um, and uh, I'm writing a leader's course at the same time, which is leadership skills, but incorporating uh, emotionally healthy stuff, plus spiritual disciplines for leaders and things like that, um, which I need to get busy on writing. Uh, I'm also trying to figure out how to not do membership, but start an order, which I'm still trying to figure out. So if you ask me any questions about that, I probably don't know the answers yet, but I'm really bored with church membership. I would be really excited to start an order of people who for three-year blocks commit to living under a certain rule. But that might just be me. Okay. Um, it, this stuff features heavily in our preaching and teaching. Um, I'm regularly talking about formation, community impact from the front, casting vision for a life of formation, inviting people into that. Always is a small group offering from us. I think over the last four years, I just can't remember how many small groups I personally have led, and it's just the same thing, different packaging, um, where I just always have one where I'm teaching people how to follow Jesus, how to enter into spiritual disciplines, how to engage in emotional health and spiritual formation. Um, and uh, it's just always there. Um, we have two amazing women. They are single women. They are in their uh, late 40s, early 50s, uh, wonderful saints of God. Uh, and they have a great passion for spiritual formation, spiritual direction. They have just become trained spiritual directors, and they have run something the last couple of years called our Silent Retreat Life Group, and uh, it sounds horrendously boring, right? Like, who would go to that? It's the one that fills up the first every time. They have, they have space for 15 people. They come to one of their houses, so they're single, so they can arrange their house, right? And there's different rooms, and you, you come, and they begin with a, a prayer, uh, and then you disperse and you spend 60 minutes in silence at different stations around the house. And you come back together and they close with a prayer of blessing. And then they'll do prayer ministry vineyard style for you if you want. But it is so popular in our church. These two ladies are expanding this out. And we have a series of silent retreats uh, that anybody in the vineyard can come on to and participate. Some of them are day long and one or two of them are going to be overnight things. So that's another way we're sowing this stuff uh, into our community and making it part of people's daily lives. And they're also going to start doing formal spiritual direction. There's a book called Sacred Companions by David Benner. Uh, if you're looking for a great intro to what the heck is spiritual direction and how might I participate in that, I would recommend that book to you. Um, okay. David Benner, B-E-N-N-E-R, um, and it's called Sacred Companions. And I've found it excellent. Um, let's see. Retreats and spiritual direction. Talked about that. And then we're just trying to see this in every age group and environment. Kids and youth slowly building this in so they're exposed from no age. In our own family with our own kids, Harmony has been amazing at this. Um, I'm always playing catch up to Harmony. Um, you know, with our kids, she's done, we always do high-low at the dinner table. What's your high? What's your low from the day? Part of that's just to connect as family. Part of that is from Ignatian rhythms of consolation, desolation. So we're just trying to sew that in. We've done stillness and silence with our kids. Um, and 
Uh, Katie Wilson, our children's pastor, is beginning to sow stuff like this into our kids' ministry. We're starting to see this in our compassion environments with the poor and the marginalized and the homeless and the addicted. Um, there's some interesting things happening in our environments with the addicted and, and just people with incredibly chaotic lives. And some of the disciplines and anchors in found in spiritual formation can bring order to a chaotic life. And it's just some really interesting things, early days yet, of people who are crashing into kingdom, picking up disciplines, and they're moving from chaos to order and health. And it's just really interesting. I just think we can do more with the poor than feed them and be nice to them. So those are some things we're starting to doing. Uh, what are we slowly seeing? Um, here's my report. Uh, we're seeing people encountering Jesus for themselves and living off of life with him rather than their weekly injection of church and living off of a sermon or great worship or whatever. They're more potent and present and available in their communities. They're able to hear the voice of Jesus and then do what he says. They're more able to give their lives to the kingdom of God and other people. They do more ministry and they bear more weight than they ever could before. But a big asterisk there, it's slower. It's a journey. It looks different. And it's coming out of an overflow of formation and community. And it's taken a long time to get them there. But the difference is instead of committing immediately and then flaking out, they're taking a long time to commit, but then they're in. And it's like it's out of the, it's out of the overflow of God rather than, yes, I'll do that even though I know I can't. You know, that one of those kind of things, right? And they're living with a momentum of their own kingdom life with Jesus and giving that away rather than relying on our momentum. They're able to process pain and disappointment and discouragement and tragedy different and better. They've just got this place that they can go, which is the loving arms of Jesus, and they know how to get there. And we've seen, we've seen healings in the traditional vineyard style, like five-step healing model, and then we've seen a lot of healings where over time, as they've given themselves to solitude and silence and encountering his presence, they've been healed. So we were seeing both. That's really interesting to me. They pastor one another better and differently. They're more self-aware, secure, and whole. It's a more peaceful place generally. And one of the things Belfast has always needed is people who carry peace. I need to stress that it is really early days. And don't hear me saying that it's a paradise in Belfast. And not everyone is on this journey. Not everyone likes it. Uh, we have had people in crisis. Uh, some people have started this journey and decided it doesn't work and they've quit. Uh, some people out and out reject it. Some people call it mysticism that's from the devil, and they've left. Um, that's fun. Um, I wanted to quit recently. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm just not, don't, don't think it's like, man, if we could just be like that. Don't think that. I'm just saying these are some of the early reports I'm noticing. We are seeing something. That raising up leaders who are deeply rooted in the love of Jesus, regularly encountering his presence, Living in the kingdom and inviting others to live that same kind of life is actually possible. We're starting to see that. And it's changing our church, and I'm just crazy enough to have faith that it's changing our city. And we're reaching for legacy that we might have a community that lasts a few generations beyond us. Just want to just quickly, um, just some suggestions on where to start, and I'm going to give you this resource, and then you can ask me any question you want. Um, if I were you, I would just read learn and practice this stuff yourself. Build your own rhythms, not as a project to roll out later or an exam to study for but, or delegate out to another staff person, but like for you. 
to live deeper in the presence and love of Jesus for your own personal spiritual formation. And then begin to lead out of that. Then begin to teach out of that. Then begin to preach out of that. When I would do my preaching and teaching out of that, I just used the examples of my own life. And I said, guys, this is possible. I, I know because I'm doing it. Um, I would begin to insist on it from your key leaders or your staff. Um, maybe you'd do a small group on this, just with the people who are hungry. Work with the hungry. Work with the motivated. Don't try to convince the unmotivated or the uninterested. Just work with the, There's people in your church that are hungry for this. Um, you know, um, do this Pete Scazzaro stuff, immensely helpful. You can do it in groups. You can do it in teaching classes. And when you're working one-on-one, ask people, do you have a rule of life? Here's what that is. Here's how it could change your life. Give lots of encouragement, lots of repetition, um, and just insist. Gently, lovingly, with a smile, insist. Guys, this is, this is hugely important for your discipleship. Another thing that I would do, that we're doing, is uh, as our teams meet, like our worship teams or our serving teams or our small groups, we've made this resource. Um, and if you go onto YouTube, this is how you're going to get this, okay? If you go onto YouTube and you Google uh, or just or search Dan Wilt Daily Examine Belfast Vineyard, you'll find two videos. And one is Dan doing the daily examine, like leading you through the daily examine. And it's about six minutes long. I'm going to show you a clip of it in just a second. And the other is Dan ex- explaining in a little longer video what the heck is the daily examine from Ignatian spirituality. You can take these and tomorrow you can start in every team, every small group, every staff, every leadership. There is you can press play and someone will lead them through the daily examine. So Harmony's been great with worship intensives and our worship teams where our worship teams get together instead of, you know, get the bass out and bang out the worship set here, they begin with the examine together in community. And then people take away, and the guys in the band and the guys in the serving teams or whatever, they know where to find the video, and they use it in their daily, and they build this into their daily spiritual life, and they do the exercises, and they're just, it's an easy way to begin engaging in spiritual formation. It's a quick win. So I'm just going to show you just a couple of minutes of, of this, and it's, um, if you don't know who Dan Wilt is, Oh my goodness, Dan is amazing, dear friend of mine uh, and Harmonies, uh, just active involved in vineyard worship and vineyard life in the United States and Canada. He's been over here teaching at worship conferences and different events. I think he is the main speaker at this year's, yeah, this coming worship retreat, which, what's the dates on that? March to something, Google it, it'll be found. But anyway, Dan is a huge resource. I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes of this just to get a flavor and you can have it, Okay. Go on YouTube, it's, it's there to share and use. We're going to take a few minutes now and do the daily examine together. We're going to do it over the course of just a few minutes, though you can extend this, as you'll see, over the course of 15, 20 minutes, whatever time period works for you at that particular time. But you can also do it in the space of just two or three minutes. We're going to walk through five steps of the daily examine. The first is we become aware of the presence of God with us. We become aware of the reality that Christ is indwelling, that he's here in us. We become aware of the reality that God is around us. God is here. Richard Foster said in these moments we can use an orthodox prayer called a breath prayer where as we breathe in, we simply pray silently, you are here. And then as we breathe out, we pray silently and I am with you. We do that a few times until the distractions, the noise begin to separate 
and we actually can get focused on the reality that we are with God. We're centered in that moment of prayer. Then we move into the second step, which is the giving of thanks. We give thanks. We look over the last... So time's short, but that's a little taster, and he goes on and he actually leads you through it, and there's, you know, awkward silences where Dan's like, quiet, <laughs> you know, and so you could just use this, it's a resource takeaway, and the, the other video is, looks exactly like this, but it's him explaining the background to the examine and, and all that, so you can use these in small groups, you can use them however you want, so um, that was a lot, huge apologies for not leaving tons of time for questions, but let's just take a couple, because...